listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, Into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined by Philip Russell. Uh, sadly, our our third, the one that completes us, is traveling for work, which might be a bit of a regular occurrence over the summer. Uh, but Ryan is here with us in spirit. Philip, how are you doing? Good, sir. Feel like I haven't seen you in a little bit. I know you've had some travels going on with you and the family. Yeah, I'm good, man. We just got back from a vacation, have enjoyed watching less basketball than normal, but the basketball we've gotten the last week has been really good. So living the dream, man. Yeah, I don't think I can say living the dream while there's an NBA Finals going on that doesn't include the Suns right now, given the uh, unhealthy expectations I may have put on but put on my team here this year. But uh, it is, it's been good. It's been good getting to watch uh, the NBA Finals as a casual viewer. Uh, obviously, the passion for basketball is still there. But last year's NBA Finals, man, I, I was trying to think through this going into it. I don't know the last sporting event that had me that stressed. I'm thinking maybe like Vikings in the NFC championship game. That was pretty miserable. Uh, Kentucky, Wisconsin final four in the 38 and O season, but last year's finals were really hard to watch. And so this year it's nice to casually throw it on the TV and be like, let's watch the NBA finals and not have to feel like you're going to have a heart attack every 10 to 15 seconds and every layup somehow is going to shape your future and your destiny in some way. So it's, it's been nice to just kind of chill and watch, but um, want to go ahead and just say thank you for those that are joining us, whether that is here on YouTube or listening on any of the podcast platforms out there. Uh, we are into the Valley part of the bright side podcast network, and we are happy to continue some basketball coverage and sun's coverage over the summer. We said we would do it. Uh, we did enjoy our Memorial Day break last week, but we are back and ready to start a, in my opinion, pretty fun series that I'm excited to get started with today. But before we jump into nothing but Suns, Philip, I did want to give you the opportunity as our resident Warriors fanboy to talk about the NBA Finals a little bit in case any of our Suns fans are also watching, whether you can connect that back to the Suns or you just want to talk basketball, uh, the mic is yours. First of all, I don't know if fanboy is the right word when I predicted Celtics in six. So True. bear that bear that in mind. I've really enjoyed this series so far. I thought both the games were compelling, even though neither of them really came down to the wire. The offensive greatness from Wardell, Stephen Curry, ever heard of him, in both the games was exceptional. Horford, White, and Smart for Boston in game one going 15 of 22 from three combining for I think over 70 points plus the playmaking that Jason Tatum gave them with 13 assists and Brown taking over at the beginning of the fourth Tatum's first half last night in game two was exceptional so there's been a lot of exceptional shot making in stretches from from both teams like at the end of the first quarter last night it felt like daggers and haymakers from both teams and then the end of the third quarter from the Warriors was nutty last night so I think this series should go long if it doesn't go long it's going to be Boston that gets rattled because the Warriors just showed an incredible ability to punch back I hope I hope Boston shows that and takes either game three or game four when they go back to Boston but I think it's been I think it's been really fun and it's one of the interesting parts about the NBA is I don't think you necessarily need a last second shot a last second defensive stand, as exciting as those are, I don't think you need those to have an enjoyable watching experience. Where that fourth quarter in game one, where Boston was making every single shot, nine made three-pointers in a quarter, that's wildly compelling, even if at the end of the game, they're up by 10 to 15 points. It's been a lot of fun. And I think there's a lot of fun kind of smaller storylines, whether that's the Derek White storyline of like where his career has gone, uh, how big of a trade that was for them to get him like such a just such a move that got overlooked, I think, because at that moment, it wasn't like, ooh, the contenders in the East brought in something or made a move. You know, like we we joked when the Celtics were a couple games above 500, 
the super nerds thought that they were the finals or the favorite to make the finals, but the rest of the world didn't quite see it that way. So that was fun. I love Al Horford. I think it is cool when you see someone reinvent their game to stay relevant and what he has done going back from how he operated in Florida to the success he found as an all-star in Atlanta to now what he's become. I think that's cool. I love the young guys from the Celtics who have all been kind of growing together for this. And then the Warriors who the storyline's kind of funny. It's like they're trying to prove themselves in the post Durant era. And that's been a lot of the chirping from Draymond, which is basically just normal speaking for him. But it's been fun. I think it's been a compelling series so far. I'm excited that it looks like it's going to be a good series, hopefully six or seven. I'm really hoping for seven. Uh, I will say, though, that game one really, really caught me off guard. I thought that was a really impressive start to the finals and got me pretty excited. So, uh, no, it's been great. And, And if you're a Suns fan watching as a casual Hit us up on Twitter. I would like to know who Suns fans are cheering for. Uh, I know, I think I predicted Celtics in seven. I wouldn't mind seeing either team win. I think a lot of Suns fans may be a little bit more jaded towards the Warriors and are pulling Boston, I would guess, probably 80-20, maybe? What do you think about that, Philip? There's just a weird thing on Suns Twitter. It's like the Warriors are so arrogant. It's like, homie, you root for Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Like, we're not we're we're not the the fandom that gets to call out other teams' arrogance. Like, our two stars are peak NBA arrogance. So and it's like, beautiful. At, yeah, like at, we love it. At worst, we're <laughs> on par with Warriors fans rooting for uh, arrogant basketball players. Here's my here's my deep t- deep thinking question though. Wikipedia and other references and NBC Sports, Sporting News, they all have Jason Tatum listed at 6'8. Not a chance. He is not a chance. Huge. He's huge. Is no he way. is he shorter than Kevin Durant by any like significant margin? I would say no. And Kevin Durant is a lying seven foot. And like, his Tatum's shoulders are like, he is. Boy got beefy. It's great. Yes. Yes. So he is just a monster. And again, game one, I know he shot poorly, but when he started playmaking and was willing to get inside, even as the Warriors collapsed, he seemed so comfortable making passes, especially to the corners in the second half. He's awesome. I really, really like watching Jason Tatum. I've had a crush on Jason Tatum in the basketball sense for quite some time. Uh, with him being at Duke, I couldn't cheer for him, really, without getting like you know my entire family's uh, wrath. But I I think he's fantastic. I love how he plays. He's the first guy that's reminded me of KD coming out of college since I really started watching, and he's a joy to watch. And Ryan McDonough, if you really one, if you're listening, I don't know why you have free time, but if Ryan McDonough really pulled some whatever who knows what got discussed to somehow get Josh Jackson to brush off the Celtics so he dropped to four and we get Josh Jackson and the Celtics uh uh-oh got Tatum at three so help me I hope some basketball ghost comes and haunts you for a long time I know there's probably some sort of Slovenian ghost that haunts you about other decisions that you may have made. Oh, I don't know. Number one overall picks. Uh, but goodness, if I find out one day in some book you write to make money when you're 80, that you're the reason that Tatum did not make it to four. who that'll crush me, crush me. But hey, let's uh, let's take a step back. I'm guessing that uh, the first 10 minutes of this episode any uh, Suns fan that says, I'm only here for Suns basketball, they probably put up with the first 10 minutes. I don't know how much we're, we can uh, we can press them. So let's go ahead and revert back to the roots here. Let's talk about our Suns. And we are going to have a titled segment called Summer Suns News. And this is how we are going to kick off almost every episode for the summer. And the thought is, we can't talk about the same exact thing Every week, we also can't talk about the same storyline in depth every week. So we've got this to start our episodes to just throw out some updates, throw out some tidbits, stuff that might need to be discussed. And Philip, I'm going to go ahead and start us off with 
the biggest player on the Suns who has the most news attached to him, and that's DeAndre Ayton. He has been, goodness, discussed by Suns Twitter to a level that is, uh, was unexpected. I'll be honest with you. I did not think it would happen so soon. Uh, it's a bit insane to me. It's been fun watching David Nash do his uh, polls every couple days on, hey, Suns fans, would you take this deal? Would you take this contract? Would you prefer a sign and trade to this contract? And the amount of votes he's getting on those polls make it very clear there's a lot of people interested in this subject. And then today, and I just wanted this to kind of be our talking point, The Athletic put out an article titled, DeAndre Ayton will likely move this summer, period. How well would he fit with the Pistons? And what ended up being is a kind of, it's an article that there's probably some journalism term for it since, you know, that's your your specialty. It's basically a back and forth interview that is taken, consolidated, made it easier to read, and they made that the article uh, between James L. Edwards III, let's not forget that, uh, and John Hollinger, who has been an exec, I believe, been involved in about every part of basketball I can think of. And it doesn't take long till we get this quote from old John here. It says, I was skeptical until I started talking to a few more people recently, talking about the rift between Aiton and the Suns. And then it says, quote, now I think it's more likely than not that he's in a new destination next season, especially if the Suns can work out a sign and trade that brings back some value. For whatever reason, I don't think Phoenix is totally comfortable going forward with him on a big money deal. And I think Aiton might be okay with going somewhere else if he can have a bigger offensive role. That is from a man who has sources, has connections. This isn't just some dude on Twitter. And again, the article is very curated to the Pistons and would the fit work. But I think that, no matter the context, is is newsworthy. It is from a source that I actually trust. It is a someone reporting info. What are your thoughts about all of the hot mess that is the DeAndre Ayton situation? Uh, and we're not going to make a whole episode of this. We just kind of wanted to touch on it because we know people care. What are your thoughts with Ayton? I guess just to open and then maybe you can you can close whatever point you have with what do you think is going to happen as of June 6th today? What do you think we're going to see? For those on audio, I'm just shrugging. I don't know. DA clearly has immense value, especially during the regular season. He is a very good basketball player. Very good. Zona Hoops tweeted something today along the lines of, you're not going to realize how good DA is until he's playing for someone else. And then I think it was Sam responded with, some, Sam Cooper of the timeline, he responded with something like, the realization is going to set in when JaVale McGee picks up his third foul in six minutes as a starter. So he's good. You would like to keep a guy like that around, but I understand the cap concerns. So all of that to say, if there is a sign in trade that takes place, number one, shout out to David. It has to be a legal sign in trade. (laughs) So bear that in mind when you're uh, getting your hot takes off on Twitter. But then secondly, I think you have to bring in some sort of big, I'm as a as a guy who roots for the Suns now, I don't want JaVale McGee and Bismack Biombo to be the fives going into next season. So like something has to give along those lines. And if you say, okay, we're gonna bring in a big on a sign in trade for DA, let's say hypothetically it's a one to one. Okay, so you're gonna pay someone, I don't know what it would be, 15 to 20 million. I think 19 might be the cutoff. You're gonna pay someone 19 million to be your starting center. Then let's start doing math. Like, is a $19 million center, whoever that would be, good enough to make up the difference to just say, yes, pay DA 30 mil? Like, is that $11 million that big of a deal? So there's a lot of, here we go. This is your, your round business, boy. Cost-benefit analysis that has to take place. Like, what you're getting back has to be very, very good, or else just sign the guy and bring him back. Because, again, at the risk of signing redundant, he is very good at basketball yeah and i think part of it too that gets into like the super speculation is 
yes, that 11 mil difference, maybe we take the talent this year, but if James Jones and whoever thinks that they need that flexibility and that cap for something next year that they foresee, that's where it gets into the realm that I don't think we as fans really can have an accurate input because there's probably a lot of plans going on behind the scenes that we have no idea about. And that's, you know, you just kind of got to sit on your hands and say, we'll see. I think I at least appreciate that the route the conversation is going from reporters and analysts and fans alike is not Aiton, he's the best, or Aiton, he sucks. It is, we know we have this asset that has value. What is the best decision to make on the future? So I'm at least going to give it up to to the people in general for for being aware of the talent that's there and then saying what can we get out of that is the return worthwhile is the financial flexibility worth getting half the value in assets roughly based on how the sign and trade math works like it's a it's complicated stuff and and the article goes into that with the pistons there it gets discussed like yeah if you find a sign and trade that works great but you better get some value back because if not okay, then what happens? And so if you can't, you're going to match because there's no way the Suns let them walk for free. And I think that's the only thing that we as the fans, and absolutely, if I'm wrong, y'all come at me. But I think the only thing that has a 0% chance of happening is another team just signs them in restricted free agency. There's no way that happens. That would just be too stupid of a move when it comes to you want to throw out another fun business acronym or whatever, your return on investment, right? You've put money into them. You use the the draft, if you want to view that as money into them. Like you put a lot into this asset. You've got to get something back. Uh, they're not going to let them walk for free. I think that's the only conclusion I have definitely come to. And some people might not agree, but that's where I'm at. Can I give you my favorite Summer Suns news so far? Yes, go for it. Dope. Our sweet boy Mikhail Bridges was that on was that was my next man. one. He was on the old man in the three, and it was great. It was some sad JJ, boy hours. JJ, it was kind of funny though. It was funny though. <laughs> JJ Redick and Tommy Alter host the old man in the three. Mikhail is one of their. I think they call him correspondents. Yep. So he comes on every every month or so, and they had they had a discussion about Game Seven, and then he comes back at the end of the episode. So if you want to listen to the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode. Actually, if you do that, you're fake because in the middle is an awesome interview with Gary Payton. I was going to say Gary Payton is a very entertaining man who had, who had such a wholesome, a wholesome thing to say. So I was listening to that on our way back to Bowling Green yesterday in the car and Gary Payton and Sean Kemp went to the Warriors Celtics game last night together. So the dynamic duo from Seattle went to watch Gary Payton's son play in the NBA finals. I just thought that was really cool. That whole podcast episode was great. That podcast generally is very good. I'm a big fan of, of those two guys. So shout out to Mikhail for being on that shout out to, for being a good sport with JJ and Tommy asking some pretty tough questions about, about game seven. Uh, before I go to my last piece of summer sun's news, I want to give a shout out to the person in the YouTube comments who commented just all caps Durant. I love it. I love it. But for now, there is no news to report, so it does not fit in our Summer Suns news section. If that were to change, we promise we will discuss it. But my last piece of Summer Suns news is that uh, Mikhail Bridges is dog-sitting campaign's dog. Yes. <laughs> and that has been some wonderful social media activity, photos and videos included. Mikhail Bridges, guys, my goodness, I love him so much. His pinned tweet is still basically just saying that I never want to leave Phoenix. People have been coming at him about going one way or another, and he's actively saying, no, thank you. I'm very happy here. You got to you love it. Like, you love to see that. And then lastly, I think uh, just Summer Suns news in general, I think it is very interesting. We still have had no Monty report, team report, nothing. Even some analyst reporter there's been nothing about the DeAndre Ayton, Monty Williams interaction from the final game. And I was curious to see if someone was going to run their mouth for good or bad to get that news out there. And it has not happened. And I know you're probably like, that's not news. That's stupid. I think it is news. I think that's saying even from folks internally within the team, 
who may love Aiton or dislike Aiton, there was an opportunity to say something to try to push things in a certain direction. The fact that that doesn't happen and hasn't happened, I think, speaks volume to the health of this team and what's going on within the locker room, within the organization. Maybe that's a bit of a reach, but I do think it is noteworthy since we haven't talked about it in a couple weeks. Here's most likely what will happen. There is some reporter, some feature piece writer who has information on that, and they'll sit on it until DA gets traded if he's going to get traded and if he doesn't get traded they can spin it in a way that says look how much the suns have overcome in a way to push the suns into the season so i think there's this summer needs to contextualize that story a little bit more i would bet someone has some information but even even still what my take on it right after it happened was emotions are running high it's game seven and you're getting mollywopped right there on the floor. Yes, emotions are going to be running high from the coaching staff and the players. It seems, to your point, cooler heads have prevailed, which is what I was hoping would happen. Yep. No, I'm I'm all about it. Anything else in Summer Suns news before we uh, kind of move on to the business at hand? No, I'm ready to criticize Chris Paul. Okay, you didn't you didn't have to jump straight there. All right. Well, this is the goodness, you suck. This is the segment that we are going to start today and it will carry through the next few weeks. Um and that is performance reviews. Basically, I took uh a general idea. Philip kind of had the idea and I made it more businessy than I probably should have. The idea of a performance review, whether that is in your job, in the middle of the year, at the end of the year, what have you, there is a general practice of saying, all right, now that this has come to an end, let's see how you did, what needs to improve, what worked, what didn't. And so instead of just saying, hey, let's go player by player and talk about them as a season, we wanted to give it some kind of structure, which I think will, one, make it easier to digest, two, make it a little easier for us to express our thoughts, and then three, allow us to kind of put players next to each other as we compiled this group a little bit more. So our first performance review is going to be about Chris Paul. And before we talk about Chris, I want to talk about how our performance reviews are going to be structured. So we have narrowed it down to four performance categories, if you will. We've got quality of work, uh, pretty much self-explanatory here. Uh, the next category being reliability or dependability. The third one is judgment and decision-making. And then finally, initiative and flexibility. Uh, and as we walk through those, hopefully we can explain how we're kind of talking about them and, and going about them. Uh, but to start off, we have Chris Paul. And Philip, I'm going to let you, let you start it off here. Quality of work. This is probably the most general. This is kind of overview summarizing them and how they performed. Uh, in more of a broad view of the subject. But looking at this past season, Chris Paul, how would you go about describing his quality of work? With these ratings, we have exceeds expectations, meets expectations, needs improvement, or unacceptable. He met expectations as far as his shooting is concerned, and he exceeded expectations as far as his playmaking was concerned. So he he averaged basically 14 and a half points on 49 32ish and 84. So pretty good shooting split. His true shooting isn't going to be as good because he doesn't take as many threes. So that's pretty standard. 15 a game for first ballot Hall of Fame point guard, no problem with that. 10.8 assists per game with 2.4 turnovers per game. So a four and a half assist to turnover ratio. That is incredible. That is so good for how much he handled the ball. So again, overall quality of work, we'll get him with a meets expectations plus. Yeah, I, I struggled with this one because it's hard for me to view a point guard who is a, what was he end up second team or third team all NBA? Do you remember third? third? Okay. For a guy that ends up being third team all NBA, and I know positions kind of affect this, but essentially a top 15 player in the league, it's hard for me to not go ahead and say that he exceeded expectations. Um, I know statistically, because at first I kind of looked the same way, just looked like year to year, year versus career expectations. 
but I've got to say he exceeded. Like he's a year older from what we saw last year. He had an injury at the end of last year that gave a little bit of a question mark of what to expect. Uh, and I thought overall he was fantastic. And I know there are going to be fans out there that are hearing that and immediately thinking to the playoffs and they have a sour taste in their mouth and they're not too happy to hear that. I think Chris Paul exceeded expectations this season, but again, big picture view. I think he did that. I think he led uh, and facilitated for one of the best NBA teams of all time. If you're looking regular season offensively, they're fantastic defensively. He was not a weak point and they ended up having the best team in son's history. So I think he exceeds expectations. I think quality of work probably will be one of our easier subjects to discuss as we move on with Chris Paul. And now we move into reliability and dependability. Unless you have something else on quality of work, I figured we'd get more in depth with these reliability and dependability. Now this is where that uh, sour taste might uh, come back up for a little bit. What do you think about Chris Paul performance, reliability and dependability? It needs improvement, but not, not just because of the playoffs. It needs improvement because he's old. He needs to play fewer games. Mm -hmm. He needs to play fewer minutes in the fewer games that he's playing. He averaged 33 minutes a game. That needs to be in the 20s. I would not. I would not want to see Chris Paul averaging over 30 minutes per game next year. And what that means is he is going to have to shift his own expectations on himself of what it means to be a reliable and dependable teammate. When he went to OKC, he wanted to play all the time, got them into the playoffs. When he came to Phoenix, he wants to be in those games. He came back quickly from his injury. He is just taking a normal definition of these words. He is reliable and he is incredibly dependable, recognizing whatever happened in the playoffs, probably an injury hampering him. To be his most reliable and his most dependable next season, I think means scaling back. Scale back. You're old. You've had a great career, but it's time to let other people take the reins a little bit more so that your kind of big picture reliability and dependability can stay intact as much as possible. I went the exact same route. I put needs improvement as well. And here's the number. I think we were completely on the same wavelength, same wavelength there. If And maybe I would have guessed this, but I, it wasn't so obvious to me that Chris Paul averaged more minutes this year than he did last year per game and not by a tiny margin. And I just want to share these with you. Chris Paul this year averaged 32.9 minutes a game. So keep that number in mind, 32.9. Last season, Chris Paul averaged 31.4 minutes a game. Fun fact there, that was the lowest he has ever had in a season. Last season was his career low in minutes per game at 31.4. And then you're looking again, and I said, okay, so this year he's at 32.9. I was like, well, when was the last time he had a season with more than that? You have to go all the way back to 2014, his second to last year with the Clippers, when he averaged 34.8. He just put the most miles on those tires after a very long break of not quite doing that. And yeah, but it, he, he's <sighs> vegan. Look, he's vegan and he played less games, and I think that's something people will go to. But again, last even with the injuries this year, last year he played 70. OKC, he played 70. This year he played 65. So it's not a huge difference. And if you go back, Houston, back-to-back -back 58. So like, it's not that we're like, well, he's playing less games, or oh, well, he got his legs back under him because he was hurt. He still played about the same games he usually plays. And I'm... I'm in total agreement. And I think back to that OKC story of the meeting room when they're like, this is how many games we want you to play. This is the minutes restriction. And he basically is just like, F that. I think that was the line from the story, right? And it was this like raw, raw, get pumped about Chris Paul piece, right? About like, he can do it. He can handle it. He's not one to be whatever. I get that. But where does that go from like, self-assurance to pride or arrogance. And I don't want to throw those out in a mean way, but there's got to be a way where you say, in order for me to provoke, provide the most value to this team, 
I've got to take a step back for the longevity of this effort that we're putting in. And I agree. I think he's got to be closer. And people are going to think this is nuts. I think like 28 minutes. I think you can find four to six minutes to go to some other guard per game. And then sure, playoffs, ramp him up if he feels it. But even that, maybe get him back to that 30 to 32 mark so that you can make it for 16 wins and however many losses. Like, it's just not, it doesn't seem sustainable. And I think the playoffs prove that for me. Anything else when it comes to reliability, dependability? No, and our next our next category is super easy. Yeah. Also, comment no, top comment during that section was more Aaron Holiday. That that though that, brings up it brings up a the, point of for Chris Paul to scale back, the Suns have to have a better on ball third option. Right. They have to. So that's that's partially on James Jones to either go out and get someone who can take some of that load away from CP3, or it means someone's got to step up. And right. we've talked about that ad nauseum. Campaign was not that guy, pal, this season. Maybe he is next season. Maybe he has a resurgence. Maybe it's Aaron Holiday. Maybe it's Landry Shamit. Most likely it's someone who's not, we haven't seen in a Suns right. uniform yet. And we'll and we'll get it in just for the record, these these performance reviews, this isn't gonna be for the five starters. Like we plan on whole getting multiple players per episode. And sure, maybe we can cover more when it comes to players laying less minutes. Uh, but we're going to get to those guys and spoiler, I think the gap from Aaron holiday and where a three guard should be is a lot smaller than in my opinion, the gap between campaign and a two, like the second option should be like, I think that second option is a much scarier mark than the third. I think some people think that a holiday or a whoever could be the second that ain't me, but we'll, we'll talk about it. So Chris Paul judgment and decision-making boy, that's a, that's, that's an interesting one. Philip, what you got? Exceeds expectations. Can we move on? I was going to say, when, <laughs> look, uh, unless, here's my only like asterisk. I filled in on my little chart. And if you're like, did you really fill out a chart? I did, because that's how I operate. Expect Exceeds expectations was immediately filled in with a tiny asterisk that just said health. And what I mean by that is, it it might not be the judgment decision-making on court that people want to talk about, but I also just want to be like, Hey fella, if you realize that your body ain't it tonight, maybe have better judgment in terms of saying what you can or can't do. I think that might have helped us in the playoffs. But anyway, maybe maybe that's just me being petty here. Uh, final subject in this one is probably the most ambiguous, but I think it it can go a lot of ways, which I enjoy. Uh, initiative and flexibility. And I'll go ahead and tell you what I thought. I viewed this as off script what were you able to do or what were you able to show that maybe didn't fit into your job description right like what did you bring to the table that was outside of what was expected or or what were you willing to change about your role in order to do the most good for the business or the team or whatever so i'll I'll start it off myself here in terms of initiative and flexibility i put meets expectations and the reason is because i don't think of all the players, I think when you have such a defined role, the need for flexibility is is not as high. And again, I think this is one we can think about it different ways. But I think Chris Paul's role is so incredibly written in stone of we know exactly what's being asked of him. We know exactly what is expected. And that is what we get almost every time. And there's not going to be a lot of problems that arise that we say, hey, in order to fix this, I think Chris's role is what needs to change. I think you see tiny bits of it, such as him going off in the fourth quarter in the playoff games, right? Where it's like he knows that maybe in order to get to that destination, he needs to hop in the driver's seat and take over. But if you're looking season as a whole, that wasn't the solution very often. So for me, I put meets expectations. I don't think as he gets older and the team develops that he's going to be the one that needs to go about making widespread changes moment to moment. So that's where I fell on it, but obviously open to interpretation. So what do you got? I put needs improvement because I think if Chris Paul becomes a better and more willing spot up 
three-point shooter, it's a good point. it unlocks a lot for the Suns. And that was something throughout the course of the season that he j- didn't seem interested in doing. And playing alongside Devin Booker, flanking a guy like that, he didn't even average, according to NBA.com's stats, he did not average an attempt per game. He averaged 0.8 catch-and-shoot attempts per game. And I'd be interested, this would have to be second spectrum stats, how many possible kickouts from Devin Booker was he getting per game? I would imagine he was getting a significant number of passes like from the elbow or free throw line area out to the wing or back to the top of the key where he had an opportunity to take a shot and he didn't do that. Now, that's not what we think of as Chris Paul, but I think that's a good next step for his for his career if he's going to play a couple more seasons at a high level, helping a championship level team flanking a dynamic playmaker when you get the ball and you're open you got to pull so i'm intrigued what was the number you said on in catch and shoot attempts i think it was 0.8 i'm not sure how they were doing their numbers i pulled this up very quickly here and i'm curious in full full transparency here i could be 100 percent wrong i was curious to see who is a point guard that I thought maybe they do a little more of this and Chris could edge into it. And Kyle Lowry was the name that popped up in my head. Um, just in terms of maybe it's the way the heat are built or what he's no longer able to do, but having that as more of an option makes sense. And quick, quick Google search here is showing from, from three, he is looking at more, uh, 3.1 maybe I think I'm curious in terms of from three what number that would be I think that might just be field goals in general but do you think a shift to more of that style is something that could help him continue to be productive long term or do you think that comp maybe makes sense like he's obviously not going Kyle Korver on us but do you think a Kyle Lowry is a maybe a good comp to look at? like hey that is something that he does more Chris Paul doesn't do it hardly at all yeah, because what you're what you'd be looking for is you don't want Chris Paul running around a bunch of screens. You just want when he's just kind of naturally spacing the floor and Devin Booker is going downhill at someone, be willing to catch and shoot. Like no hesitation. It's just what you're doing as part of the as part of the offensive flow. Maybe Kyle Lowry. I didn't watch a ton of the Heat this year, uh, but I think it's just the way he evolves to being more effective next to Booker. Well, speaking of Devin Booker, we move on uh, in our performance reviews. And based on my rough tally here, it seems like Chris Paul averaged uh, meets expectations plus. I think the edge is closer towards exceeds, but he's got some stuff pulling him down. So I would say meets expectations plus on that one. But we move to Devin Booker. This one, I think, uh, is a little more interesting. Performance review for Devin Booker, and let's go ahead and start us off with quality of work, and I'm going to go ahead and say it exceeded my expectations. I thought he took, I'm not going to say a leap, because that I don't want to imply that he wasn't very high up to begin with. I think he took another big step in his own development and his stardom, not just by how he operated offensively, which was a very good, efficient, better shooting season than what we have seen but also how he was able to work and gel with Chris in year two. And then defensively, I think that was the biggest kind of talking point for me when I was kind of jotting down my pros and cons. I think he took a big step defensively, maybe not in terms of talent. Like I don't think he, he went to the lab and changed up anything, but it was just constant, consistent effort that defensively I think is putting him closer towards uh, a neutral or a plus rather than a minus, which we've seen in, in past years a little bit. Uh, so what do you have there about book in terms of just overall quality of work? I mean, it exceeds expectations. He's a well-deserving first team, all NBA player yep. who flirted. He was just under 27, five and five, which I mean, what more do you want from your star player on your team on pretty good efficiency and really good three point shooting? This year, it was it was great. Yeah, I was going to say, I think if you're looking at one stat that made me the happiest, I don't know if stats can make you happy, but in this case, I'm going to keep rolling with it. 
he jumped from 34% from three to 38.3. That is very impressive. And on top of that, that was going from last year's five and a half attempts per game to seven attempts per game this year. Volume went up and efficiency majorly went up. Like that paired with what he did on the defensive end, I think that is exceeds the exceeded expectations. Uh, a lock plus on that one. So I don't think there's much to argue there. Uh, reliability and dependability. I'm going to turn this one over to you first. Meets expectations. I think very consistent throughout the course of the year. Didn't seem fully himself consistently throughout the playoff run, but we know he was coming back from a hamstring injury. So it's hard. Again, it's hard to put too much, too much emphasis on that. I don't think he missed too many games in the, Mm -hmm. in the regular season. So yeah, meets expectations. Yeah. I, I, I put meets expectations. I flirted with exceeds uh, just because of how reliable he was. And I think some of that goes back to the efficiency, if you want to take that approach to it. Um, so I would say meets expectations, but if anything, leaning towards exceeding less about needs improvement. Uh, now, here's the one I think that gave me the most pause in my answer. Uh, and I'll go to you again. Judgment and decision making for Devin Booker this year. What do you got? This is my least favorite part of Devin Booker's game. But I have to take the reality that is in front of me and say it exceeded expectations for this year. All right. He averaged basically five assists per game. Best assist to turnover ratio of his career. So he's still a relatively young player. And he did his best playmaking of his entire career. So then I don't know how I could look at the judgment and decision-making and say, oh, he was trash this year because he wasn't. He was the best he has ever been statistically. While I think there are still improvements, if we take kind of the spirit of this exercise, we can say he was markedly better this year in 21-22 than he was back in 20 and 21. So exceeds expectations pretty comfortably, I think. I think you did a really good job kind of summarizing what went on in my head and in terms of the notes that I've got written down here, because I think as fans, we hate the idea of a narrative. Like we have a story that we're sticking to, and this is what's going to continue to be preached because it's easy. It's digestible. People get it. I fall into the trap of a narrative that I don't know if the whole world has it, or maybe we just have it as very close friends who watch a lot of basketball together. We get frustrated, again, I was going to say a lot, but this season not so much. We oftentimes over the last couple of years got frustrated watching what we would deem hero ball from Devin Booker. That has been, in my opinion, his Achilles heel for his career. It is the, we need something to change in order for us to get back in this. The solution I have come to is I'm just going to take over. And that leads to, Forced passes late in the shot clock, shots that shouldn't be taken, bad shots, early shots, like weird step back in the corner. Over, like, and you just you just want to pull your hair out and say, this isn't the way to handle the situation. And so in my head, when when he does that, it sticks out more than it probably should have within the grand scheme of the season. And I think you're right. In the spirit of what we're doing, we're taking a holistic view of the season and saying, where does it fall? And so I I agree with you. I think he exceeded expectations in terms of of his decision making here. I thought he did a fantastic job this year as a whole being the one true constant for the Suns. And that meant, you know, when Chris was out, how are you going to respond? How are you going to play? Are you going to overdo it? Or are you going to rely more on the surrounding cast? I thought time and time again, when faced with a hard situation, he made the right calls to find success for the team. And I thought that was just a really impressive part of a well-earned first-team All-NBA season. There is, there's a spectrum that exists in the NBA between three of the young stars in the league. Currently, from worst to best, the order, and I think it's unquestionably this right now. It goes, Donovan Mitchell is the worst. Devin Booker is somewhere in the middle. And then Jason Tatum 
is the best. Now, Jason Tatum is more of a forward than Booker and Mitchell, but you think about guys who have the ball in their hands a lot. They tend to take a lot of shots. They have the opportunity to play make quite a bit. I would say at the beginning of the 2021 season, I saw a lot of similarities between Mitchell and Booker. I think Devin, this past season, separated himself a good bit from Donovan Mitchell to say that, like I just mentioned, there's no question in my mind that Devin Booker is the better player. Devin Booker is absolutely a better NBA basketball player than Donovan Mitchell, but he's no Jason Tatum. He's no Jason Tatum. So like there is, there's another level for his judgment and decision-making to go to. Some of that might be hampered just by his size and the size difference that we, we noted earlier, but it is trending in the right direction. Yeah. One of the silly phrases that I've used a lot in our text conversations when watching Tatum throughout the playoffs is like, he is that guy. He is, he is showing us that he is that guy. And you can, if you would like to hear about it, listen to any Bill Simmons podcast from the last (laughs) month. Like he is, he is saying, I am unquestionably a superstar in the NBA by the plays I'm making in the toughest moments, big shots, great defense, whatever. And I think that's what we wanted to see out of Booker against the Mavs. And because we as a collective thought that that step was the next one in the sequence, the hurt from when it didn't happen stung that much more. That said, I think we can still see that next season. I think it is justified to think he is on precipice of that. Is that the correct use of that Mm -hmm. word there? Like he's right there. Like it is not agreed. I think he has widened the gap between him and, and Mitchell and is getting to that level. And maybe Suns fans don't view Tatum that way. If you don't, I would just ask you to go watch him. He's a joy. Obviously, I got a bit of a crush on him myself. Like, he is so fun to watch. Um, But yeah, I think Booker is almost there. But this season as a whole, he did a lot more to push him forward than to take a couple steps back, I would say. So again, we get we get to the last one here. And again, interpretation, uh, go wherever you want with it, Philip. Initiative and flexibility. What did you see out of Devin Booker this year? Uh, meets expectations. I think he's a crafty scorer. Back to the basket, pull up, sidesteps. He scores. I actually think he's a two-level scorer. I don't. I'm not super comfortable calling him a three-level scorer. I don't think his game in and around the basket is particularly impressive. So, just for the sense kind of, that he kind of needs he needs the head full of steam to get to the rim. He doesn't operate under. Is that what you're? Yeah, and say? he doesn't he doesn't get right to the rim. Yeah, he very, doesn't get very much. He doesn't put from from my vantage point. There's there's stats that could tell me this is dead wrong, but I, just from the eye test, I don't think it is. I don't think Devin Booker puts a lot of pressure on the rim. I think he can put a lot of pressure on the defense because he is so good in the mid range, and that kind of second level of scoring is such a sweet spot for him. And then, as we've mentioned, he was almost the best he's ever been percentage wise from three this season. So because of that, it just kind of naturally adds a flexibility to his game that not a ton of guys in the NBA can boast. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm off. I agree. I think meets expectations is kind of my, my safe answer here. I think the reason I give him more positive marks in this category is just because of how well he handled all of the change thrown at him this year, mainly the stretch without Chris. I thought it was really impressive to see a different type of point book. And hopefully this will make sense. I think in the past when the point book experiment has happened, it seems like he puts this extra weight on himself to be that guy because the ball's in his hands more. And I think this year when he played that role, he did a better job of still playing Devin Booker basketball just with maybe a higher usage. Like it, it still was statistically the same type of splits and frequency and what he was shooting, how he was shooting, although the attempts went up and so his points and assists went up as well. Like I thought he just did a really good job being what was needed instead of just forcing himself into a role that maybe wasn't his. Um, but that, that was kind of my thoughts for, for Devin. Anything else there uh, before we wrap his up? No, we have a very expensive topic up next. Oh man. well, that is correct. But before we before we move on to the financial version of this, 
Uh, I just want to say for the record, as we continue to keep track, Chris Paul ended up meeting expectations. Plus, I think Devin Booker easily exceeded expectations. There are some things still that may be able to improve, but I think it's more of the expectations are going to grow and we'll see if he meets them again next year uh, as he moves into that kind of next stratosphere of player. But as Philip said, we have one last thing to talk about, and that is Devin Booker's pockets. Uh, As he hit first team all NBA, that means there are new opportunities on his horizon. Uh, And Philip, tell the folks a little bit about what that might mean for Devin Booker. Devin Booker is eligible now for what's called the Supermax extension, which because he's under contract through 23-24, this is a contract that would kick in in 24-25. And here are the expected per years if you lock it up right now, which that's an important piece of this. If you lock it up right now, in 24-25, Booker would make $47.1 million. And then it would bump up to a hair under 51, so 50.9 in 25-26. It would go up to 54.7 million in 26-27. And then in 27-28, it would be $58.5 million, which, if you count all that up, is a lot. It's crazy. It's over $200 million. Now, here's a question to ask. Supermax represents 35% of the current cap space. Are you, as a lifelong Suns fan, comfortable paying Devin Booker 35% of the current cap space with increasing percentages each year? I would say yes for a couple reasons. And some of this is based off of information that I hopefully have right. I believe if you lock it in, it is prorate is not the right word. It is calculated, like you said, at that percentage of the current cap, and that gets locked in. So if we anticipate the cap increasing over the next few years, which I think is widely believed to be true, he won't be making 35% of the team's payroll every single year. It does not get prorated in the sense of, I don't know why my mind went here. It is like locking in a mortgage rate. You are not going to fluctuate with the market. He will be what he is. I think that alone is a massive benefit because I think the NBA is continuing to show that there is a very good chance that that cap is going to have a spike sometime soon. I like that. Number two, from a fan perspective, I love the idea of having Devin Booker locked up. I just do. Uh, If you think about why... Suns teams in the past have broken up or didn't work or whatever. Uh, it, it it gives you some nightmares. I like the idea of having Booker locked up. I think he's the most important player on the team. He just happens to be young. I still don't think he's at his prime yet. I think you don't make a mistake on this one. Now, what I would love to do in my off time, and I might do some homework here, see how many teams have won the finals with a player on a Supermax. Uh, it is a similar project I did recently was looking at how many quarterbacks have won the Super Bowl at a certain percentage of the team's total cap. And there's actually a magic number of no team has ever won a Super Bowl with a quarterback making this much of their team's money. So I'd be curious to see how many Supermax players have won the finals and also seeing the ownership behind them. Obviously, in Golden State, you've got an ownership who will continue to dump the piggy bank out because that is what it takes to win. The Suns don't have that. I think that's an interesting third part there of seeing how Sarver plays into it. But strictly to answer your question in a far less complicated way than I did, yes, do it. He's earned it. Keep him in Phoenix. Don't mess this up. And don't waste time. That's my thing. Do not drag this out. Don't make it a thing. Pay the man his money. He's earned it. I like what you said about not dragging it out when he's eligible for the extension, which is July 1st, I think is when free agency opens up. He can sign. It's very similar to like Cam Johnson. They can sign Cam Johnson this summer and lock him up for the next, I guess it would be five years total because of this last year on his rookie deal. I don't fully know. I don't fully know if I'm comfortable with Devin Booker being a super max player because Devin Booker is no Stephen Curry. Devin Booker is no Giannis Antetokounmpo. 
Devin but Booker. There's, but there's no way they can go to him and say that. That's right. and it's the Aiton thing all over again. Right. Yeah, Aiton, but here's here's what is helpful. Here's what is helpful. So these are stats from Donnie Druin's May 21st SI article talking about this max extension. After the All-Star break, Devin Booker was one of three players to average 30 points while shooting 50% from the floor and 40% from three. The other two were Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum. Devin Booker is also one of three players averaging at least 25 points the last four seasons. The other two are LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo. He is very, very good. And what the Suns are going to run into is that they are looking to give a guy a super max who is probably just a bit below the caliber of the guys who I would say, and put this in air quotes for our audio only listeners, the guys who deserve the Supermax, but because of what he means to Phoenix, because of the time he's put into Phoenix, because of the great finals run that he's that he led the Suns to, right now I would say yes, give him the Supermax with the realization that side-by-side, side, some of the other guys who would currently be on Supermaxes, he's probably not in their tier. I want to read real quick before we close, and also it is starting to storm outside, so hopefully yep. the uh, the rain and thunder don't impact too much. But here's a list of players currently on a Supermax. Giannis, Steph, Luka, uh, Embiid, Rudy Gobert, is that correct? This is from a, an article not long ago like a couple days ago, Rudy Gobert, James Harden, Damian Lillard, John Wall, and Russell Westbrook. Mm -hmm. So that could, I'm not fact checking this guys. This is first article I pulled up here. Um, but this is saying nine NBA players currently on the Supermax. I would say Booker is not as good as Giannis, Steph, Luca, <clears throat> excuse me. I misspoke. Uh, Embiid, Dame is a question mark. I would pick Booker over Dame. Maybe that's my bias. I, I think the defensive ability there. So that's four players, I think, on this list that are better than him. That means if he was to sign it, in my opinion, he would be the fifth best player on a list of 10 players with a Supermax. It would be different for me if I would be like, okay, you're signing a guy to a Supermax who you know is probably the least deserving Supermax player in the league. Sure. But it's not that. And I do know some of that is skewed. Like no one in their right mind would sign John Wall or Russell Westbrook to a Supermax now. But when they were signed, they had an expectation that their greatness would continue and there was room to grow. Now, here is something that I also wanted to mention. Here are the seasons in which these players signed their Supermax. Giannis in his eighth season, Steph in his 12th, Luca in his fourth. That one's pretty impressive. Embiid in his eighth, Gobert in his eighth, Harden in his ninth, Lillard in his eighth, Wall in his eighth, Russell in his tenth. So these supermaxes have been signed by guys typically around that mark, and this will be Devin's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth season. He will be 25 slash 26 years old. I think there's room to grow. I think he has continued to show an improvement year over year, and I don't personally think he is close to the finish line. I don't think we're seeing prime Devin Booker. So that's that's what I mean, that's what you gamble on, right? Like you you pay with an expectation of it becoming a good value. So I I don't know. I think you've made great points. If if you had to make a call right now, you're the Suns exec. What are you doing? You still sticking with Sign it immediately July 1st. Oh, yeah. For okay. sure. Good. Well, guys, this episode was supposed to be shorter, I say, as we clock in at 59 minutes. But we missed last week. We had a lot to talk about. Uh, hopefully, you all enjoy the performance reviews. We're going to stick to that format throughout the season. We now have a maybe a bit of a better idea of the expectation of how much time those take. Uh, but I've enjoyed it. I enjoy having kind of a format to go and re- I don't know, observe the season and kind of take it back in now that we have moved past the playoffs. So Philip, anything to add before we bring this one to a close? 
Now, can we lock in our next one and say we're going to do the twins? Oh, I'm all for it. Dope. So next week's performance review will be our sweet boys, Mikhail Bridges <clears throat> and Cam Johnson. We will do our best to keep any bias out of it. No promises, though. They only exceed our expectations. Absolutely. I love them both so much. Well, we want to say thank you to those that have stuck around and watched live here on YouTube. And if you are listening on Spotify, Apple, wherever you may be, we appreciate it. Thanks to the folks at Bright Side of the Sun. As always, I am Ethan. And for Philip, this is Into the Valley Phoenix Suns Podcast. We out.